to have a seat. Hey, first of all, I just want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, it's a, an honor and an encouragement uh, just to see so many friends and family here to celebrate the gift of God's kids. Um, I want to point out uh, just a couple of things. Number one, this is not my usual voice, so suffering with a little laryngitis, so rooted, don't fall in love with this whole Morgan Freeman thing. Hopefully it is passing. So a couple of things I'll say about that. One, I, I just got done spending the weekend with a group of our folks uh, at a conference in Oklahoma, which was amazing. And on one hand, that, that definitely worsened my voice condition, but it's an amazing, like it's, it's grace to lose your voice singing in a room full of people from all over the country singing to our Lord. So on one hand, that was great. Uh, but on the downside of that, was I spent three hours on the car ride home hearing some of the worst opinions I've ever heard, from terrible sports predictions to awful movie reviews. No heresy, but I also, you guys who rode with us, it was terrible not being able to respond to those things. I've got a long email to correct all of your terrible sports predictions, so be on the lookout for that. The second thing, again, just in welcoming you this morning, uh, we're a church plant. We've been here in this building for about a year. Uh, we planted here in Joplin because we believe the Lord loves this city and desires the gospel to go forward in this place. We believe Jesus is better, and then you fill in the blank, whatever you put there, Jesus is better, and we want the world to know that and this place to know that. Uh, if you're here with us today, if you've been, I just want to share with you a few ways that you can connect. One of our values here at Rooted is simplicity. We believe the power of God comes through Him, not through all of our programs, not through events, and so we keep things pretty simple we have a little connection card, and there are four primary ways to connect with Rooted. Number one is our gathering. This is where we come together just to be encouraged to hear the gospel proclaimed. But this is the church gathering. But then from here, the church scatters. And that's where the church really does what it was called to do. We scatter and we break up into family groups. So we have groups that meet in homes throughout our city for the purpose of just living life together. One of our other values is authenticity. So we come together and we share who we are and what we need with a group of people. And uh, we do that on a bi-weekly basis. Number three is Shalom Sunday. So one Sunday, uh, on a regular Sunday, we don't gather here at the building uh, on, a, on a regularly scheduled, right now it's quarterly. We worship together by glorifying God outside of this building together for the sake of living out our call to be missionaries. And so next month on March 29th, we'll do that by being downtown with Water Gardens and we'll be worshiping with them. Um, so that's a way that we serve as missionaries together. And then fourthly is DNA groups. We meet together. We're going to be starting in April to in groups of three to four people to discover, nurture, and act on God's word as we want to grow not only as family and missionaries, but as disciples. We believe those three words make up the whole call of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we're called to be, we're family because we've been adopted through the blood of Christ. We're missionaries, much like Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He stepped out of heaven, moved into the neighborhood that he might live amongst us and heard our, with the way that we heard and laugh. Uh, when we laugh so that we might know the good news of the gospel, we reflect that by being an incarnational people, missionaries. And then lastly, we're called to be growing in our awareness of him, that, that the gospel is not just a step on a stairwell, but it's continually growing and transforming us into Christ's likeness. And that doesn't ever stop on this side of eternity. So we're a family of missionary disciples. And those are the four ways, our four rhythms for living that out together. So thank you for being with us. If you have any questions about that, would love to connect with you. This week, we're going to be wrapping up our series called Jonah and the City. 
And we're gonna, this is the last sermon in that series. So we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. So I just want to, uh, I wanna, I'll read verses 1 through 4, and then I'll kind of recap where we are up to this point. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to, be, to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So if you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, I'll tell you a little how we got to this point. Jonah was a prophet of the Lord, and God came to Jonah and said, hey, I desire you, you're going to go to Nineveh and declare my word to those people. Now, Nineveh was the most wicked city you could possibly imagine. The things they did to people, the things they celebrated were just, they were the most terrorist nation you could possibly come up with. And Nineveh had no desire to go there. Not only did he hate those people, hated those people, but he knew to go there would mean to die and to be mocked and to die publicly. It was, it was certain death. So God tells Jonah to go. Jonah goes as far in the opposite direction as he can possibly go. He gets on the boat. He's, he's feeling guilty. He's running from God. He goes down. He's ran as far as he could to the boat. So then he goes down deeper and begins to isolate and hide in the boat, just trying to hide from God. In the midst of that, God shows a group of pagan sailors who he is, and they testify and worship the Lord. Jonah, die, Jonah faces death, is thrown out of the boat so that God might save those people. As a reflection of Jonah, is a, that Jesus is the better Jonah, and Jonah being cast out of the boat points a picture to the one who would ultimately come and do what God had called him to do perfectly. So last week, God saves Jonah. He rescues Jonah. Jonah faces death in the sea, but God uses a fish and rescues him. And in the bottom, at the bottom of the sea, when life appears to be over, when he's reached the end of himself, he's able to rightly see who God is. And he acknowledges who the Lord is, and he declares salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord, in grace, casts him back onto the ground and tells him again, go to Nineveh and preach my word. And so Jonah does that. We think that in the fish, Jonah was transformed and got it all together. But we see that post-fish, Jonah is still a broken dude who depends more on his own righteousness than that of Christ's. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. He declares the Lord's going to destroy this city, and he does it with joy in his heart because he wants nothing more than to see these people destroyed. He feels that would be just. But we saw last week, that's not what God did. Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh, he, pre, he shares this truth, and God rescues people. He ceases, like they, they repent, they give up, you know, all of the evil things that they were doing. The king of the city is transformed, and it makes it illegal to do the things they had been doing. And you would think Jonah would be ecstatic because of that. But we see here today, as we've just read, that's not what happened. Why did Jonah run? We know that one reason he ran is that he didn't obey God. But going all the way back to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve did not disobey the Lord because they wanted to destroy their lives, because they wanted to, to, the curse to come down upon all people after them. They disobeyed the Lord because they believed that their way would make them happier. They believed that. They believed in God, but they had come to a place where they were convinced that their way would result in more joy than God's way. We're, 
We're the same now. We struggle with the same things. When we don't prioritize, when, when, the, when, dis, when being with Jesus is not a regular part of our life, when being a part of his bride is not something that we value, when we live in defiant sin, we not only avoid God's will because, we, we, we don't avoid God's will because we desire destruction, we go against God's will because deep in our heart of hearts, we believe our way is better. We believe that like Jonah, we think God's got this wrong. We believe the, 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 whether we recognize it or not, our the sin and defiance is our belief that we know something God doesn't. You see, God's given us his word and clarified who we're to be and how we're to live. But in our heart of hearts, even though we would never say it this way, we're prone to think as humans that we just know a little bit better. Every human comes to a place where we face an internal voice that says, obeying God will cause us to miss out on something better. Perhaps even to waste our life. If many of us were honest, what keeps us in a state of kind of half-hearted Christianity, half-hearted discipleship, is because we, we want to keep that, you know, go to heaven free card in our pocket, but we don't want to miss out on these things that God's obviously not aware of. Like, we don't want to lose that. It's in those moments, though, that true faith is tested and confirmed. If God is who he says he is, if he is truly God, that changes everything. There's nowhere we would not go. But yet, much like Jonah, we're prone to have the same tendency on a daily basis. Jonah chapter 4 is a very overlooked chapter of the Bible. If you have any experience in Sunday school, I would guess you know about the fish. You probably even went, sat through a lesson about God saving Nineveh and rejoiced in that. And for most people, that's the end of the story. Jonah was faithful. God saved a city. But that's not the end of the story. Jonah chapter 4, is, it's through the lens of Jonah chapter 4 that the whole point of the story comes forth as we see that Jonah's heart is revealed fully. So in verse 1, we see that Jonah was very angry. He wasn't just angry. He was indignant. Jonah should have been ecstatic. He preached the most important message of his life before the largest and most wicked crowd he would ever address. And his message was accepted. And it led to the transformation of an entire city. And the Lord withheld his wrath from a people. But we see in verse 2, he wasn't happy. He was crushed. Jonah reveals to the Lord that it wasn't just that he believed that the Lord didn't have good for him. It wasn't just the fear of death, but he really had another motivation for not obey, but being obedient to God the whole time. He reveals that knowing the grace of the Lord, he was afraid this was going to happen. His, one of his deepest fears was that God might show Nineveh grace. He knew that the graciousness of the Lord, he knew of its abundance, and he found it incredibly offensive. You see, Jonah believed that his rescue, that his status as a prophet was because of something he did. Religion says, if I'm good, God will love me. And then God kind of owes me something because I earned it. Like it wasn't so much grace, it was a transaction. I did all these things. I checked the boxes. I didn't cuss you or go with girls who do. And in, oh, and in response to that, God gave me what I deserved. I get salvation. But that's not true. The gospel's the truth that God loved me and therefore I obeyed. 
The grace of God came before. I, I, I did nothing to earn it or attain it. I don't have that kind of payroll. God's grace for me was just that. It was grace. But Jonah didn't, Jonah maybe, maybe would even have said those words, but this occasion reflects he didn't believe that in his heart. And the grace that God showed Nineveh was reflective of the grace he showed Jonah, that Jonah was just as wicked, that in the eyes of a perfectly holy God, even our smallest offense puts us an eternity away from him. Up until this point, God had primarily only called his prophets to go to Israel, to address Israel, his chosen people. So when God calls Jonah to Nineveh, he not only feared his life, but he feared that the Lord might offer grace outside of Israel, that God might also call Gentiles to himself. This was offensive to him, and he couldn't stand it. <coughs> you see, God had promised to preserve Israel, to use Israel to unfold his special purposes. And Jonah then was deeply disturbed by the idea that God might possibly show mercy to one of Israel's greatest enemies. And so in anger, Jonah quotes scripture to the Lord when he acknowledges the Lord's character. It says in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, which is what Jonah quotes to God. Jonah quotes scripture more or less to accuse God of being unjust. Essentially, he's saying, you're just the God that'll forgive everybody, no matter how terrible they are. Jonah's essentially using scripture to make his own point, to prove himself right. However, as is typically the case, when someone uses scripture to lift up and make much of their own viewpoint, he doesn't share the full word. He doesn't get to the full point of the text. Because <coughs> in Exodus 34, if you continue to the next verse after the one Jonas shares, it says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In Exodus, God, in Exodus 34, God declares that his abundant mercy is not detached from his perfect justice. Yet Jonah's not interested in the full truth at the moment. You see, God is abounding in steadfast love. God is perfectly loving, but he's also perfectly just. And we can't even understand the combination of those two things. God forgave Nineveh. He showed, he showed mercy to Nineveh. And, and I believe many of those people probably came to him. But that doesn't mean that their sin was just wiped off the books. Ultimately, Jesus would come. That Nineveh's salvation would be found in Christ. That the slate wasn't just wiped clean there on that day for any who turned to the Lord, but it was costly grace. And the full price of that grace would be paid in Jesus, who would be the better Jonah and who Jonah would ultimately point to. Verse 3 then tells us that Jonah was feeling something a lot deeper than anger. He was in a place of complete and utter despair. He tells the Lord that he no longer desires to live because of what the Lord had done. Now, I think when we read this, this sounds extreme. We read this and immediately feel a sense of, what in the world is wrong with Jonah? But I think if we look carefully, 
we see again that we're not all that much different than Jonah. (coughs) As a prophet of God, Jonah was fully content to bask in the favor of the Lord. Yet Jonah now reveals that the foundation of his life was not solely rooted in the love of God. You see, Jonah hadn't lost God's love. Jonah hadn't lost anything in Nineveh. His love was actually more real than ever as Jonah acknowledges who God really is in the belly of the fish. Yet Jonah lost something else in Nineveh. And without it, God's love wasn't enough for him. Jonah loved the Lord, but in this moment, he reveals something he may not have even realized. He loved something else more than he loved God. For a believer, any time I come to a place where I can say, if I cannot have blank, I can't go on, then I'm essentially saying in that moment that something besides the Lord has become my primary source of hope. And listen, I think this is a really difficult thing to wrestle with, but if you put anything, anything in that space, if I cannot go on without this, if the Lord were to take this from me, then I could not go on. I'm not saying God's grace is no longer real for us. God's grace is abundant for Jonah here, and he forgives that. But ultimately, something else has become my primary source of hope. Something else is where my joy is found. And so what was it that Jonah valued more than God? It was his country. Jonah valued the security and prosperity of Israel to such a high degree to he had, like it's one thing to have pride of country, but his pride had grown to such a place that the idea that his country's greatest enemy could be shown mercy He just couldn't even fathom it. He could not get on board with it. It was incredibly offensive to him. The Lord rejoiced in the mercy that was shown to Nineveh. But in showing mercy to Nineveh, it became clear for maybe the first time that God, the glory of God wasn't dependent on the political prosperity of Nineveh or of Israel. Like it just became clear on that day that God's plan was bigger than just the country that Jonah thought was preeminent. And he couldn't, he couldn't even begin to accept that. It was incredibly offensive to him. But in verse 4, God's gracious to Jonah. And he, he calls him to reflect on the motives of his heart. It says in verse 4, the Lord says, do you do, do, you do well to be angry? Is this anger making you more like me? Is it conforming you to myself? Jonah should have rejoiced in the salvation of his enemy. As God rejoices in the salvation of all of us who have fallen short of the glory of God. This was a miraculous testimony to God's grace. That these people were saved in such a public way. Praise be to God that they were rescued from destruction at least. The people didn't begin to worship immediately. And so while many likely were saved, there are probably many who weren't. But they did respond and quit their, they, they stopped their destructive ways. It was an honorable posture. Surely they responded to the Lord's command no matter what. And you would think that Jonah would be so astounded by what he had witnessed that he would desire to build on this. He could have stayed and he could have helped to those people, continuing to disciple them. He could have set up shop there in Nineveh and just built upon what the Lord had started on that day. 
But his heart wouldn't allow him to do that. His pride was too great. As believers, we fail to reflect Christ when we prioritize our interests over others. And no matter what you say, like Jesus just didn't do that. The disciples are so offended by Jesus because they just expected the Messiah to come and immediately take the throne and rule all things and he would just squash all of his enemies and they would, which one of us gets to sit at your right hand? But Jesus came and he starts washing feet. He dies to self. He shows mercy to the very ones who would put him on the cross. The way of Jesus is, is radically different than that which Jonah desired. We reflect Christ when we, 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 as believers, we fail to reflect Christ when we put our interests above others. When we value security more than we value the salvation of others, we fail to reflect Christ. When we see our heritage or our citizenship as making us superior to any other group of people in the world, we're failing to reflect Christ fully. When we put our hope in national policies, as opposed to putting our ultimate hope in the ways of Christ, like we are a kingdom people, far more than we are Joplinites or Missouri people or U.S. Like far before any of that, we're people of the kingdom. And it's in the ways of Christ, it's in God's word that we put our ultimate hope. I want to make clear this morning, like to love country is not evil. It wasn't evil that Jonah found pride in where he was from. We should care for the place that God's called us. We should pray for the place that God's called us. He's called us to be missionaries here. Every Christian is called to be a missionary. You live on the street that you live. You work at the place that you work because God desired for the people of that place to know him and see him. You are a missionary. Whether you're a missionary in your school, in your co-op group, in your, you know, on your street, like God's called all to be missionaries. Missionaries don't just go overseas. They also walk next door. We give to Caesar what Caesar's. We seek the welfare of the place where God has called us. But for Jonah, his pride in country had led him to lack love for others. His pride had transformed into racism. He hated these people because of where they were from. So instead of investing of these people... He goes and he sets up camp, hoping that the Lord might change his mind and fix this mistake. That he might correct this awful decision that he had made. Much like in the sea, God rescues a group of pagan sailors and Jonah is on the outside looking in. They're celebrating, offering sacrifices on the boat. The Lord had just saved them. He had flipped a light switch and the storm was gone. Now, the city of Nineveh is undergoing just this transformation, massive celebration. And much like the older son in the story of the prodigal son, Jonah's on the outside. He's watching from out there. Much like the older brother stood angry outside the door while the younger son is welcomed into the home and enjoying the feast, so Jonah's on the outside. And that takes us the rest of, of this passage, starting in verse 5. It says, Jonah went out to the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be shade over his head 
to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. We'll stop there for a minute. Jonah went out of the city so that he could see what would become of it. Jonah still held out hope that the city might be destroyed, that these people might get what they deserve. Maybe God would come to his senses. Maybe these people wouldn't follow through on their repentance. And in verse 6, to teach Jonah a lesson, like a loving father teaches their child the ways that are right, that God prepared a plan and made it come up over Jonah to provide him shade. Just as God had prepared the great fish to swallow Jonah, now he prepares this particular plant to shelter him as he waited for the city to be destroyed. And for the first time in this whole story, we see Jonah described as happy. Jonah was exceedingly glad. He went from, I desire to die, to for the first, the only time in the whole book of Jonah, he's exceedingly glad. You see, much like his anger, even Jonah's happiness is ultimately self-focused. And in verse 7, we see that that thing that made Jonah exceedingly glad, and because of his love for his child, God took it away. And the sun beat, verse 8 tells us, the sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he grew faint. And again, he declares that he desires to die. Desires to die. Got a thing. Gave him new hope. God takes it away back to where he was. Just reaffirming that Jonah's hope has, has never been fully in the Lord. It's always been in something else. And in verse 10 and 11, the last two verses of this chapter, the Lord tells Jonah, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, this great city? in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This plant rightly reflects so much of the human reality. Jonah cared for this plant. He may have even tended to it, but he couldn't control its life. Ultimately, that only God can do that. Despite your best efforts, a plant will eventually die. For some of us more than others. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in the same way, Jonah wasn't able to save himself. In the, in the sea, he couldn't save himself. He was dead. God in his grace sent a fish and, and saved him. In the same way, Jonah wasn't responsible for the salvation of Nineveh. Jonah was right to believe he would surely die. He should have died, but God in his grace intervened. Neither of those two things were ultimately about him. It was never about him. The plant served firstly to glorify the Lord. That in the plant, Jonah with a right heart would have been exceedingly glad in the Lord and in the Lord's grace. But God tells like, but you have pity on the plant? This word pity is a very strong word that means a deep sadness. Jonah literally felt a deep sadness at the loss of the plant. It was just like the plant symbolized a source of hope for him. Finally, God was getting it right and doing something for him, the one who actually deserved it. And God takes it away. And he loses hope once again. God's just not enough for him in that moment. He's here today, he's gone tomorrow. 
He felt no sadness at the destruction he declared to the people of the city where God had called him, but he felt an abundance of sadness for a plant. Again, it's easy to think that that sounds extreme, but how often do we fret over the loss or acquisition of things? You know, like we, we devote so much of our life to acquiring money, yet the greatest despair many of you could feel would be the thought of bankruptcy. You know, like we spend so much of our life, like how can we have a, a nicer house? How can we have these things? But do we feel that, like when those things are removed from us, do we feel the same source of sadness and concern for our neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? Am I as motivated for the people in my life to know the good news that has been given to me as I am to acquire things? The answer for probably most of us is no. Often silly things that will be here today and gone tomorrow mean more than us, cause more emotion in us, we're more driven to them than we are the truth that there are people in our streets and in our workplaces that don't know the good news of the gospel. And in that way, we are just like Jonah and the silly plant. Jonah didn't feel a lick of pity for these people who were facing destruction, but he's here crying over a plant. God says to him, should I not pity this great city? Like you pity this plant. God wants him to see like how much more should I care for a city where people don't know their right from their left. As we close this morning, I just want to conclude this series by helping you to see that the same thing is, is true of the city that where we live. God looks down and says, should I not pity Joplin? For there are many people in this city who don't know their right from their left. And that's the reason that we've planted a church here. For many of us, we may be unaware of the true condition of our cities, of the true condition of our own block. But Joplin is a city where hurt and need is abundant. Some of you might be involved in, or you know, one of the ministries we partner with here in town is uh, Crosslines. And I, I work there one day a week doing fundraising for them. Crosslines, we see almost 2,000 people a month from here that come in, and, and, and their source of poverty isn't just, like, it's not just not having enough money, but the sins that accompany that, the hurts that accompany that are abounding. The, the number of people that are addicted to drugs in our city and can't go to work because they can't pass a test because they're hooked on opioids is abundantly high. The number of single moms that come in that because of, their de because of their condition, they're dependent on having whatever guy will shack up with them from time to time because they can't afford to pay the bills or live in a house otherwise, is rampant in our community. We live in a community, the Joplin metro area is roughly 200,000 people. That's not Joplin, but that's what the U.S. government considers the metro area. It goes all the way to Miami. We're the fourth largest metro area in the state. In the Joplin metro area, roughly 73,000 people claim to be evangelical Christians. That seems like an encouraging statistic. But again, that's out of 200,000. Almost 80,000 people identify as having no church affiliation and likely no faith in Jesus. 
And out of that 73,000, like how many of that are folks that are still a lot like, like clinging to religion and don't know the good news of the gospel, but it's strictly their heritage. We live in a city that God has compassion on and desires for people here to know the good news that he has given us because that's what the gospel is, friends. It's good news. It's a newspaper headline. The gospel is not just this transcendent word that can mean whatever you want. Like, no, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done that people might be redeemed. The truth that God gave his only son to live a perfect life, to die a brutal death so that there no longer be condemnation for those who are his, but everlasting joy in Jesus. We've been given that news. Like, that's an, that's an incredible news that the world needs to know. And it's not just news we live out. It's news we have to share. It's a word to be declared. And when we declare it, much like Jonah, God can do whatever he wants when we declare it. We don't have to be fearful that we're going to stumble through it or we're going to sound silly. Because like, it wasn't Jonah's ability that rescued Nineveh. No, like the Lord showed, the gospel is a seed that is planted, but God provides the rain. God makes it grow. It's a fire, like we, we can stack the firewood, but we don't light the fire. We don't have any matches. God does. So we can come sharing the gospel, knowing God will do with it what he will. And it may well be an abundance more than we could have ever imagined. It's the hope that our city needs. Our city is not lacking nonprofits. It doesn't need the chamber to step up its game. That's not its primary hope. Our, our primary hope isn't new businesses and improving the unemployment rate. It's not a new political candidate. It's not who we vote for on the next election. The hope of Joplin is the good news of Jesus Christ shared in the gospel. And we've been tasked with such because God loves this city. And he has many more people in this city who don't even know that they're his. Verses 10 and 11 showed us that God cared for Nineveh. He had labored for that city for a long time. In 1873, a group of people decided to set up camp because zinc was found in the ground and the miners began to work and their families began to come and Joplin was formed and God never ceased to labor for this city all the way to then. Then in 1910, we saw this boom of churches start, including the very one that built this building and God, they served faithfully for 75 years and then in 2018, God brought another church here to continue the very same thing. God's redemptive story continues in this city. God desires many churches to come and to preach faithfully that the lost might know Jesus here in this place because the Lord has labored for this city. And there are many people here and there are many people that know a lot of things. They know a lot about business. They're great business owners. They're great citizens. They've got great degrees. They're very smart. There's all kinds of great people, but they don't know their right hand from their left. Because none of that means anything outside of Jesus, void of Jesus. That it's through Jesus that even my good works are counted as good. It's only in him that anything I do is of, of measure because all things are intended for the glory of God. As we, close, as we wrap up, before, as before we pray, I just want to encourage you, Rooted Church, to be praying this week. Next month, next week, we're going to start a new series called Who's Your One? And we're going to be walking through Scripture, uh, talking about God's love for people and His desire to use us that the gospel may go forward. And I'm going to be challenging you 
over the month of March to be identify one person in your life who God's given you a heart for, who doesn't know him, who you could share the good news with. And we're going to write that person down. I'm going to ask you, not publicly, but just to identify them. And we're going to pray through the month of March. And, um, and so I just, because that's what God's called us to. Like God doesn't, didn't plant a church here so that church folks would leave their churches and we could just move chairs around on the Titanic. No, he, he started this work that the lost might know Christ. And we will, we will continue to pray and strive to that end because God loves this city. Would you pray with me this morning? God, you are good and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love that, uh, that, that I can't even wrap my head around. You've shown mercy on me that I do not deserve, that I have not earned, that I could not earn. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for this, your love for this city. Your love for this city has been shown in so many ways. Even an F5 tornado couldn't keep you from using the body of Christ to rebuild a community to your glory. God, would you, would you just bless our efforts? Lord, as we plant the seed of the gospel, would you just make it grow? Would you make it grow in the hearts of people? Would you plant your seed in those uh, who don't know you or maybe those who have wandered from you? Would you just make that seed grow? That you, for the sole purpose that you might be made much of in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Lord, thank you for the, just the abundance of mercy that you've shown us. Lord, would you allow us, Holy Spirit, uh, open our eyes that we might see, that we might just see and taste that mercy. God, we've, many of us felt such things when you rescued us, but then we get, we get bogged down again. We get distracted by the plant we, we lose sight of what it is that you did for us in Jesus Holy Spirit give us eyes to see would we set aside time in our day to just bask in your glory and your goodness Lord thank you for these people I love you and I pray these things in your good name Amen